1: Welcome to that show hasn't been funny in years, an SNL podcast. I'm your host, Nick Degilio. I'm a podcaster, comedy writer and performer, graduate of Second City and a Saturday Night Live historian and expert. Each week, we will look back at everything SNL, the best, the worst, the good, the bad, the classic, the forgotten. We'll talk about full seasons and full cast, behind-the-scenes stories, episodes, sketches, SNL's historical significance, and much, much more. Sometimes I'll have guests, sometimes I won't, but with every episode I will always prove that that tired, old cliché that you hear all the time, that show hasn't been funny in years, is absolutely wrong. This episode is entitled, Misery Loves Company. Now, you would think that if you uh, are cast on Saturday Night Live, if you get to be a player, whether it's featured or whether it's a regular uh, a cast member in the repertoire, if you actually walk through the hollowed halls of Saturday Night Live where the original not-ready-for-prime-time players shared the stage that you were about to share, that you'd be really happy about that. And in some cases, and in most cases, that's, that's true. Uh, most of the people who have been cast on Saturday Night Live look back at their time on SNL as great on wonderful and, you know, in many cases kicked off a career in movies and other television and elsewhere and on stage. Um, And the time that was spent on Saturday Night Live with those wonderful cast members was, they were happy times. They were challenging times, but they were rewarding and they were great and they led to a great long career and incredible memories. Well, that's not the case of everybody who, who gets cast on Saturday Night Live. Some of the cast members in the history of Saturday Night Live were miserable. And we're going to talk about 10 of those cast members. Now, there's more than 10. There's definitely a lot more than 10 cast members of Saturday Night Live whose time spent at SNL was not happy, uh, was miserable, whether it be because of uh, the time period that they were there, whether it was between, you know, uh, good seasons and bad seasons, whether it was the time that Lorne was gone and either Ebasol or Domanian were in charge, Or whether they were poorly treated or, you know, just the politics that were involved. Everyone has a different story for why they were miserable during their tenure at Saturday Night Live. And that's what we're going to talk about. And we'll play some clips. I will play some clips uh, proving either why they were miserable or why they shouldn't have been miserable. That's the case. Um, (laughs) Now, there have been over 159 cast members uh, in nearly 50 years. On Saturday Night Live, so of course you would expect not everybody would be happy. Uh, No one knows that better than Lauren Michaels. Lauren Michaels said, "Some people, their whole lives are just They are just injustice collectors." He said, "They're going to find new injustices every day, and that's what they do, and that's all they do, and that's who they are." So, um, comedy uh, nerd put together um, a list of some of the uh, of some of the more miserable. Cast members in the history of Saturday Night Live and some of the quotes as to why they were miserable or them talking about their miserable experience during Saturday Night Live. So this is episode 28, and these are the miserable uh, 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 cast members in the history of Saturday Night Live. Now, there have been many, again, I'm focusing on 10 here, and uh, we are going to play a clip from each uh, uh, from each of the cast members, which is either a clip of, yeah, I can understand why they were... Uh, why they were miserable, or a clip of them. Why are they miserable? They got to do this stuff. Some of the stories are interesting, and some of them are a little bit weird. Let's start, shall we, with uh, the first of the ten miserable cast members from Saturday Night Live. Now, we'll start with uh, someone who you wouldn't think was miserable, who had a very successful run on Saturday Night Live. And I do want to point out um, that these people were miserable, and um, with the exception of three Um, so seven of the 10 people that we're going to be talking about spent multiple seasons on Saturday Night Live. So, uh, these are people who were miserable, but they went back again. Only, uh, three of the cast members spent one season on SNL or two of them only a half a season. So those three, it makes complete sense, uh, as to why they were miserable or, or leaving. But some of these people were miserable and spent a lot of seasons on SNL. Like our first guy, John Lovitz, is the first miserable cast member that we will talk about. John Lovitz, who spent five very successful seasons on Saturday Night Live. Not granted, he got there uh, during that weird transitional period um, where he survived the whole Ebersol back to Lorne Michaels uh uh, uh, escapade, and then when Lauren Michael, when Lauren Michaels came back and decided that he was going to populate the cast with younger hipster mid '80s movie stars like Robert Downey Jr. and Joan Cusack and Anthony Michael Hall and weirdo character actors like, <laughs> like Randy Quaid, uh, he was part of that first cast. Um, Lovitz did eventually get to shine. Um, he had a lot of characters with a lot of catchphrases, um, but I guess he was mad about one specific thing. So John Lovitz. At this point now, whenever you hear about John Lovitz, he seems grumpy all the time. You know, he's been in the business for a very, very long time. Very successfully, he's made a bunch of movies, he's been on television for a long time. People remember him fondly from SNL, most people do. They remember Tommy Flanagan, The Liar. They remember the acting, you know, let's time for acting, they remember that. Some people even remember Frenchie. (laughs) Not quite sure who, but some people do. But for the most part, you would think, yeah, John Lovitz, uh, he, you know, five years on SNL, five strong years, got a movie deal out of it, got a career out of it. But no, he, he, he always is kind of miserable, and here's why. Lovitz gets on podcasts nowadays, he gets on talk shows, and he talks about his glory days on SNL, but he still gripes about it. Um, and he was mad because he never got the time off to do movies. Everybody around him during those, during those days, like your Mike Myers and your Dana Carvey and some of the other successful catchphrase spouting cast members of that period did go off and do, do movies. Well, uh, Lauren, I guess, never let him do the movies. And he said, I was supposed to do a liar movie and it never worked out. He was always bitching about the liar movie and how it never worked out. Uh, so, It it was tough to work with Lauren Michaels, according to him. And he said, uh, It would be tougher for me to get my pieces on than anybody else. I would pitch things and they wouldn't get on. And then, you know, he was always mad at me. So, John Lovitz, I guess, had a particularly cantankerous relationship with Lauren Michaels. And he's still mad, I don't know, 30 something years later, almost 40 years later, at Lauren Michaels for never making the Tommy Flanagan liar movie. Now, I don't know how the Tommy Flanagan liar movie would turn out. My guess is bad because the one joke Tommy Flanagan thing, and as funny as it, as it was on Weekend Update, in the brief two to three minute segments it was, uh, like many of the bad SNL uh, movies, and by the way, there is an earlier episode of this podcast that's dedicated completely to me talking about and ranking in quality the actual SNL spinoff uh, uh, movies that were taken from characters or sketches directly from SNL to the movie screen. Um, So most of them are not good because taking a two-minute sketch and stretching it into two hours doesn't work all the time. And I really think that Tommy Flanagan would not have worked. But uh, John Lovitz, miserable uh, cast member number one, does not agree and was pissed at Lauren, never got along with him after a while because he wouldn't make the liar movie. Well, here's an example of Tommy Flanagan. This is from 1986, season 12 on Weekend Update. Uh, Dennis uh, Miller was your was your was your anchor at this point. Here's an example of the liar. You think you listen to this, and you tell me whether they can make a ninety-five one hundred, maybe one hundred and ten minute movie out of this. Oh,
2: White House spokesman Larry Speaks resigned this week. Insiders speculate that first in line to replace him is none other than the president of Pathological
3: Liars Anonymous, Tommy Flanagan. Mr. Flanagan is here with us tonight. Share the comment, Tommy. Well, uh, but well, I'm not really first in line. No, I, uh. I already have the job, yeah. In fact, I've had it for months. Yeah, sure I have. Of course, so with Larry there, I, I stayed behind the scenes, yeah. But speaking of Speaks, I was speaking to him yesterday. Speaks, I spoke. You're fired. Out, get out. Sure, he says he quit. But what do you expect him to say? He's a liar. <laughs> now, about this Iranian deal. Well, it wasn't really a deal, see? It was a, it, w- it was a present. Yeah, the Ayatollah is b- bicentennial. Yeah, that's a ticket. He's 200 years old. Almost twice as old as the president. Mm. Yeah. By the way, it wasn't weapons he sent to Iran. No, it was a, it was a, well, all right, it was weapons. But, but he didn't send the cash to the Contras. No, that'd be illegal. No, he sent contraceptives to the condors, Yeah. Because there's too many of them. Yeah. Why, they're laying eggs like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, just like his staff. Yeah, the whole thing was their fault. Except for uh, me, of course. Yeah. I was on vacation at the time with with my mistress, Jean Kirkpatrick. Yeah. Yeah. And then my wife found out about it. Uh, Morgan Fairchild. Yeah. Why, she was so jealous, she cut off my... (laughs)
0: Allowance.
3: <laughs> so what could I do? Sell my gun collection to Iran and get a job with the president? I'm taking the fifth. No, no. I'm taking all five of them. Yeah, that's it, ticket.
2: <laughs> Tommy Flanagan, thank you. Yeah.
1: There it is. So you figure out if 90 minutes of that would work, and John Lovitz is still complaining about it. Okay, so that's miserable cast member number one. Miserable cast member number two is Julius Sweeney. Uh, Julius Sweeney um who actually got a movie made uh and widely considered and I think correctly considered without question the worst Saturday Night Live movie ever made and that's It's Pat and that was her frequently androgynous uh character you didn't know whether it was a man or a woman and that was the joke um funny character for three or four minutes at a time uh, I thought Julia Sweeney did nice work on uh, on SNL, she again was on uh, for four seasons. So if she hated it so much, she spent four straight seasons there. Um, she is quoted as saying that it was the last year that really did it for her. Um, she was had some trouble during the first three years, you know, pitching sketches and not not uh, doing as well as she had wanted to do. But it was the last year, and she said, "quote My last year was just one of the worst years of my life." She said, "I think that Lauren was feeling a pressure to concentrate more on the younger talent." And I think I got one sketch out of my whole fourth year. Um, I complained, but I felt like uh, I would have had to scrub toilets with a toothbrush to get back onto that show. Which I guess is true because she was during the, she was in there during that time period where uh, the Boys club started to come in, uh, and your Farleys and your spades. Uh, and your Sandlers would come in, and it was all like, and it was all like butt jokes and crotch jokes, and it was the high-fiving, let's-do-fart-and-balls jokes era of the early-slash-mid-'90s. And Julius Winnie got caught up in that, unfortunately. And uh, you will hear a little bit later on um, what some talented, very talented cast members had to, had to put up with while they were there when it was that Farley, Spade, Schneider, Sandler... Boys Club. Julia Sweeney did have to put up with that a little bit. But Lauren did say this. I let her make an It's Pat movie. And ever since it's been on the record, and I've been on the record, they say that Saturday Night Live movies are terrible, like It's Pat. She was unpleasant about being on the show. So Lauren's point is is, you know, <laughs> it's a good point. They made It's Pat, and it's widely considered to be the worst Saturday Night Live movie of all time. And that's saying a lot, because there have been a lot of bad Saturday Night Live movies. But uh, I thought Julia Sweeney did some solid work on SNL. I am not going to play an It's Pat uh, clip. I am going to play one of my favorite clips, which I think she's wonderful in, actually. And it is a clip where uh, it, it was, it's from 1991. It's season 16. Oh, by the way, the John Lovitz clip was from 1986. That was season 12, that John Lovitz clip. This one is from season 16, 1991. Adam, uh, Alec Baldwin is the host. Um, and in it, he is. A, they do a new sort of version of a confession. Um, uh, Julia Sweeney is in a confession booth in a church, in a Catholic church, and they now have a new thing where they're going to take away the uh, the, sh- the shield, and you can actually see the priest that you are confessing to. And, and of course, it was Alec Baldwin in 1991 when Alec Baldwin was unbelievably attractive, and it's about Julia Sweeney confessing to a very hot priest. So it's hot priest, Julia Sweeney in a confession booth. I played this one because I really think that Julia Sweeney, I like Julia Sweeney, and I liked what she did on SNL. And, uh, I mean, I hated its Pat. All people did. And if she was, you know, a pain in the butt to Lauren behind the scenes, that seems to be the case. But she was miserable during the last year, but I like this sketch. This is uh, Julia Sweeney. Some of it's visual. You might not get it because she's making really wonderful facial expressions and looking at how beautiful Alec Baldwin is as a priest. And all that stuff is very funny. So here is a very funny sketch with Julia Sweeney in Confession With uh, Alec Baldwin as a hot priest.
4: Confess.
5: Okay. uh, um, Does my breath smell bad? I had garlic chicken for lunch. Mm.
4: (laughs) The breath of any confessant is sweet to the Lord. No, your breath is fine.
5: (laughs) Oh, good. Okay. um, Okay. What are my sins? I had a bunch when I came in, but now they seem so boring. Uh.
4: The Lord finds everything you say fascinating.
5: Oh, oh, good. (laughs) All right, um, all righty. you
4: you seem uncomfortable. Please, relax. We can turn the lights off if you wish, or we can do it with the lights on. We can do it out in the pews if you like.
5: Oh, no, here would be just fine. (laughs) Oh,
4: good. Please continue.
5: Okay, um... So I, I, I lied to my mother. She asked if she could come over for dinner, and I, I said I was busy, but I wasn't.
4: Well, that doesn't sound so bad. Why don't you just call her up this afternoon and say, Mom, I love you.
5: I love you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me see. What else? Um, oh, uh, I went to the grocery store, and the clerk missed an item, and I didn't draw it to her attention, so I guess... That's a sin of omission.
4: Hmm. Was it a very expensive item?
5: Oh, no, it was just some pamperin. Well, um, every month I, I gain some water weight. You see, each month an adult woman,
4: I she, understand how a woman's body works.
5: Oh. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Um, okay, of course you would. Um, how silly of me. Uh, okay.
4: Let us end now, and while you say your act of contrition, please try to remember that the power of forgiveness is strong. Let it enter you. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I
5: forgot one. All right. I've had impure thoughts very recently.
4: (laughs) That's all right. God forgives you.
5: Oh, okay. Oh, I thought of another one. Um, I ate an entire box of cookies this week. On Tuesday. Oreos, I love them. (laughs) Mm.
4: Well, that's not really a sin.
5: Oh, but I'm on a very strict diet.
4: Well, it still isn't a sin.
5: Oh, but it was still losing control and that's not good. Mm. I just love Oreos. Do you like Oreos?
4: Well, I don't mind confessing to you that I have a bit of a sweet tooth myself. I love Oreos.
5: Oh, (laughs) I'll tell you a secret. I like to dunk them in milk.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a little embarrassing, but uh, I still like to spread the cookie open and eat the creamy center. (laughs)
1: You get the general idea. Um, <laughs> so uh, Alec Baldwin as the hot priest and uh, Julia Sweeney in the confession booth uh, being very, very uh, sexually turned on by the priest. Um, I really like that sketch. I think she did some funny work in that sketch. And again, visually, we're missing a bit of it because her facial expressions were great and her nervousness upon you know, uh, confessing to this you know, very hunky priest. Um, it's great stuff. So, uh, you know, uh, the four seasons that Julia Sweeney spent on there, I think she did solid work. I thought It's Pat was a funny character on the show. Unfortunately, uh, it made for a terrible movie. Uh, and she's still a little bitter about that. All right. All right, next on the Misery Loves Company list, miserable cast members, Garrett Morris. Now, Garrett Morris is an interesting uh, case here because, you know, obviously he was part of the very first season. He was one of the very first not ready for primetime players, obviously the very first black uh, um, uh, player on the um, on the show Uh, but he was an outcast kind of Uh, and it kind of it kind of actually felt that way when you watch the first few seasons uh, those first five seasons that uh, that Garrett was a part of during that you know during the original heyday with all the other cast members Um, and it wasn't just because he was African-American he was older he was much older he was like uh, and he was like 10 years, at least 10 years older than um, the sort of baby boomers that were also on the cast with him. He was an, he was like the older gentleman of the of the cast and uh, did not like to hang out with those people. He was not like a very sociable guy with the group of not ready for primetime players. And everybody just thought, okay, all of these cast members hang out when they're done. They all do that. Garrett Morris wasn't really like that. And then Garrett Morris went through uh, some depression. He also had... Some serious drug, uh, drug problems, uh, some very serious drug problems, in, 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 including uh, being hooked on crack at one point, smoking crack during the last uh, year or so of the show and then a little bit after that. So he had a rough go of it. Uh, he didn't kind of know how to deal with it. Everything at that point for everybody on that show, including Lauren Michaels and the writers and the cast, nobody knew how to handle what Saturday Night Live was because nobody knew what Saturday Night Live was at that time. And it was the 70s, uh, the mid to late 70s when they were on. And that was a period of a lot of drug use, and cocaine became very, 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 very popular in the world and on the set and among the cast and crew. Uh, and Garrett Morris kind of kept to himself. He wasn't very happy. Um, a lot of the stuff that he tried to pitch never really got on. He had some, you know, recurring characters, but they weren't really big. Um, And, uh, you know, I mean, he did, I think he did solid work. He got to work with, you know, Steve Martin and Dan Aykroyd um, as the wild and crazy guys. He was their neighbor, you know, uh, uh, slap my hand, black soul man, you know, that, that whole thing. I mean, he was a great presence on Saturday Night Live. And again, sort of a father figure to everybody. But he wasn't, he was not happy. And it led to drug use and it led to some depression. And some years where he was out of the, he was off the stage. He was a stage actor. He studied at Juilliard. Um, he came from a completely different background than all the other people did, and he never fit in really, and that affected him. Uh, and Garrett Morris is quoted as saying, "Is people suppose that if you're in the cast, that means you automatically go everywhere together, 24/7?" Uh, he says, "I've always been an asshole with that cast, and I always have been. And as soon as I was, as soon as it was over, I was gone, as soon as I could be." So Garrett Morris again um, never really fit in. He was older had some problems, felt depressed, and eventually started doing drugs. But I think, you know, he spent, again, five years. He was uh, in that cast for that first five, those, those for classic, classic golden five years. So he was there. Um, and he did some great work on SNL. And, you know, um, not surprisingly, because of the conditions that, it was, that was happening, the politics that were happening, because he was older and because he was black and because he eventually had some drug issues, he did not have a good time, and his memories on SNL um, a lot of them are really bad. So he was miserable. But I'm playing back something that I love. This is a classic bit. This was not one of the recurring characters, like baseball has been very, very good to me, or the um uh or the translator or the interpreter for the people of heart with hard of hearing, and some of the other stuff that he did, some of the other characters. This is a one-time thing that they did. Peter Cook and Dudley Moore were the hosts. This is from 1976, it's in season one. And this is when they're holding auditions in a prison to do a uh, a, a Follies show. So the the, the people who the, the prisoners who are who are in prison for life are going to be part. They're going to put on a show. It's it's called the Life or Follies. And Peter Cook plays the director of this. And they're doing auditions. And you probably remember this. And uh, a bunch of uh, prisoners come in in their you know black and white striped prison outfits, including Chevy Chase, and including a, a, a bunch of other cast members. They come in to audition and uh, Garrett Morris comes in to audition and I think you remember this this is one of the classic moments in the history of SNL and probably and to this day Garrett Morris favorite bit that he ever did and I think a lot of people remember this one this is from Life or Follies, 1976 and this is uh, a great example of the kind of really funny stuff that Garrett Morris brought to the show my
2: next man Wait.
3: hello <coughs> name Garrett Johnson Mr. Johnson, it says here you're serving a life sentence for first-degree murder and assaulting an officer of the law. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, what are you going to... Uh...
6: <laughs> I like that. What are you going to uh, do for us today? Uh, well, uh, I've been in solitary for years now, and I studied and developed my talent for writing music, mm. and I've written a lot of songs. And I hear the song which is the sum of my philosophy. <clears throat> I'm gonna get me a shotgun and kill all the whites I see not gonna get me a and kill all the I see When I kill all the whites I see And Whitey, won't bother me Gonna get me a shotgun and kill all the whites I see Then i get a white woman who's wearing our name who's you.
1: <laughs> classic. What can you say? Classic. So Garrett Morris, um, you know, because of a lot of uh, a lot of reasons, was not happy uh, while he was on SNL, especially during the last couple of years. Uh, but he did go on to, to great stuff. He made movies. He was a regular on uh, Two Broke Girls. Um, everybody knows who he is. He is a legendary, historical, classic member of SNL. Although, uh, you know, he was not very happy uh, at certain times because of that. All right. But Garrett Morris was miserable. All right. Misery Loves Company. Our next one is Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who we've talked about uh, a couple of times on the podcast. She spent three seasons on SNL. And it was a weird time because it was that transitional period where Lauren had left. um, uh, Gene Domanian took over. And it was at a time when nobody in the cast really took off. And the only thing that was really happening during those years that Julia Louis-Dreyfus was on uh, was Eddie Murphy. I mean, that was it. That was that was during when Eddie Murphy, and, and to a certain extent, Joe Piscopo and a couple of other people, um, it was at a time when uh, everybody was comparing this new cast to the original cast, the fact that Lauren Michaels left. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus was in the middle of that. Now, a couple of good things did happen out of that. She uh, uh, She met Larry David which is a good thing. And uh, right before that, she uh, met Brad Hall, who she ended up marrying, and they were married when they were, on the, when they were on the show. They were boyfriend and girlfriend and married when they were on the show. Um, so those were the good things that happened. But meanwhile, she felt like she did nothing. Uh, when asked uh, what was it like, what did she do on Saturday Night Live? Her answer was, oh, I would do stuff like, can I get you more food, Mr. Gumby? That was the kind of thing that she did. Basically, everybody was in service at some point for a solid, like, two years to Eddie Murphy. So she spent three seasons on there. Um, And here is a typical bit that she did um, on the show. And I'm playing this one because this is one of the few times that she actually worked with her husband, Brad Hall. She worked a lot with Gary Kroger. Um, Whenever they did a lot of... uh, sort of, uh, love, you know, scenes where they had to be romantically interested, uh, or, or in one case, Donnie and Marie. Um, but anytime there was a romantic bit that had to be done with Julia louis dreyfus she was always teamed up with Gary Kroger and not her real life boyfriend slash husband, Brad Hall. And this is one of the few times that she and Brad Hall did a sketch together. Um, it's not very funny. They're pretty funny in it. They've got some good timing going. It's not a particularly well-written sketch. But I wanted to play this because you know, like she wasn't very happy while she, was with, while she was on SNL. In fact, she was miserable. She didn't like it at all. But she did meet Brad Hall, and they ended up getting married. So I thought the clip that I would play would showcase those two because it was one of the few highlights of her time there. She's quoted as saying, It wasn't a particularly happy experience for me being on SNL. I thought it was going to be a congenial experience. I wasn't aware of all the politicking that one had to do, and I think there were a lot of drugs going on at the time, and I was not into it. All the work was done between 11 o'clock at night and 6 o'clock in the morning, and that's not it. And that wasn't, in my view, conductive to doing comedy. So the lifestyle, the drugs, the late hours, the fact that you would have to politic to get on the air, she did not like that, so it wasn't a very happy experience. But she did meet Brad Hall, and here's a bit that they did together.
7: Hi, uh, listen, I'm not gonna beat around the bush about this. It isn't easy for me to say, but... Well, I think it's time we start seeing other people.
5: Oh, my God.
7: No, 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 listen, it's it's nothing personal. I mean, I still love you, It's, it's just me. What is it? I'm not attractive to you anymore? Oh, no, 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 it's not that. It's because I'm starting to gray, isn't it? No, no, really, it's not that. It's me. What do you think? I'm overweight or something? No, 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 no. You look great, honey, really. Oh, it's because I've got eyebrows on my back. No, no, it's not that, I swear. I've got fingers for toes on my feet. You hate that, No, it doesn't bother me. It's a personal It's my triple nipples, then. You don't like my triple nipples? You don't understand. Uh, it's because I ate your dog? No, no, honey. Because I bit your grandfather? No, no. The problem is me. I'm just going through a, a crisis of some kind. Oh, I don't, I don't feel like I'm contributing this. to the relationship. Listen, dear. honey, I can change. No, 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 you don't need to change. You're a wonderful girl. It's
5: okay, just... I'll stop sleeping with your father.
7: No, darling. Look, I'll, I'll stop
8: sleeping with your mother, too. Darling, no, no,
7: no. There's nothing you can say. I've made up my mind. We just gotta stop seeing each other, all right? All right,
8: all right. So I guess I'll just give you back your ring. What ring? The engagement ring.
7: i not engaged. What do you mean, we're not engaged? We're not engaged. What are you talking about? Wait a minute. Isn't this Paula? No. Oh, my God, I dialed the wrong number. So embarrassed, I was calling my girlfriend.
8: Oh, 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 I'm so sorry. I thought you were my boyfriend. Yeah, you see, we've been having some It's problems. the triple
7: nipples that got me. See, this? Yeah. she's got triple nipples, you've got triple
8: nipples. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry.
7: My, look, my name's Pete Van Wagner. Oh,
8: I, how do you do, Pete? I'm Carlin Goller. Listen, I've really... I, I've got
7: to go, okay? You, I'll see you. No, Bye-bye. Wait, no, wait, wait. I want to I talk to you. Wait, wait, wait. Listen. Hello, yes, uh, I I need a number for uh, Carleen Galler. Uh, It's in Manhattan. She's got triple
1: nipples. Hey, triple nipples. Let's say triple nipples five, six times. Uh, Not a particularly uh, funny sketch, but they did a nice job, and I played that because I'm sure that she was very happy that she and Brad Hall got to work together, which they didn't do a lot while they were on SNL. Uh, That was from 1983. That was season eight, Um, and she spent three seasons, and she was not happy. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, miserable. Uh, The next one who uh, was miserable was Leslie Jones, who I think uh, think that's fair because she made a lot of people miserable while watching her. Uh, Not one of my favorite cast members uh, ever on SNL. In fact, one of my least favorite cast members of all time. Uh, But apparently she was miserable doing the show. Um, And again, this is a person who was miserable but did four full seasons of SNL. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm just not a fan. I thought she was one note. She screamed all the time. Uh, she inevitably almost in every sketch that she ever did. And I'm not exaggerating. If you go back and watch the sketches that she's in, you go back and watch the sketches. She screws up a lot. Like she screws up reading the cue card. She misses a cue. She'll break a lot. Uh, this sketch that I'm about to play is one of her many weekend update yelling appearances, or like you know, like flirting with Colin Jost appearances. It was a one joke thing, and she breaks here. And this is you know early on in her in her stay on SNL. This is during her first season, one of her weekend update bits where she breaks. Uh, but she was constantly breaking her her. She didn't have uh, she couldn't do impressions. Her her range went from loud to louder to loudest. Um, I was never a big fan, but she was miserable on the show, um, but spent four seasons. and here's uh here's what she says. Leslie, uh, J- Leslie Jones, they were uh, and again, she's had a great career. She was in the and I actually liked her in the female Ghostbusters movie, which, by the way, in my opinion, is the best of all the Ghostbusters movies. Yes, it is. it's true. Um, and she was good in that, and she, you know, she's she's appeared in a lot of movies. She's done a lot of standup. She tours around the country. Um, And good for her. She's had a very successful career. She hosts Supermarket Sweep on ABC, but she was not happy on SNL. And uh, they asked her once, uh, do you regret leaving SNL? And she says, nope, I don't miss it at all. That job was hard, man. That job was like two jobs and very restrictive, too. I wasn't free there at all. So Leslie Jones was miserable. And like I said, all right, that makes sense because you made everybody else miserable, (laughs) at least the viewers. Anyway, here is one of her uh, update bits where she yells a lot and breaks character or breaks and starts laughing and kind of screws up her cue cards. Uh, and this is an update bit that she did with Colin Jost. This is from 2014 season 40. She spent four seasons on here. And this is one of her one of her bits on uh, update about talking about crazy bitches. As she says.
6: Now, What do you think about
7: this woman who snuck in through the chimney?
6: You know what, Colin? Look, I sympathize with this woman. When stuff like this happens, men just love to call women names like crazy bitch. Crazy bitch. (laughs) Y'all got y'all nerd calling women crazy, but you men is just as crazy as us. Y'all can't even handle our bodies. Every time you look at our breasts, you lose your damn mind. (laughs) Look at my breasts, Colin. Look at my breasts! (laughs) I I feel like I have to talk to HR first. (laughs) See? Men, you just want to touch them and squeeze them and mash them together, and if you can't do that, you're staring at them all creepy-like. Every girl out there grew up with some uncle staring at them at Thanksgiving, saying how much you done grown. And they ain't even really your uncle. They just some dude your dad worked with. So you... It's personal. (laughs) We got that. (laughs) So you men think you crazy? You give us that crazy. We gotta be crazy. We take men inside of us, inside of our hearts, inside of our souls, inside of our Netflix account. <laughs> Do you know how gangster that is to take all of that inside of you, Joss? I guess it's yeah. It's pretty gangster. Yeah. <laughs> you better believe it's gangster. Your tall glass of almond milk. <laughs>
1: Uh, so that's an example of uh, of Leslie Jones, who was not happy on the show, um, and uh, and uh, there you go. But that was kind of indicative of the kind of stuff that Leslie Jones did. Some people find her funny. I'm just one of the people that, uh, that does not. But, you know, she's had a very successful career, just wasn't happy on SNL. All right, next on the Misery Loves Company list, I'm going to do two here. I'm going to kill two birds with one stone, and that's Chris Elliott and Janine Garofalo. And they were on for one season. Actually, Janine Garofalo left before the end of the season. And they were on 1994. Um, And uh, Chris Elliott, who was best known from the David Letterman show and from uh, other great work and from Get a Life, the TV series, being the son of Bob and Ray, being the father of Abby Elliott, who would be a second generation SNL cast member a few years later. His lovely daughter, Abby, would would appear on the show, who you can, by the way, see in The Bear right now if you like yelling. Uh, But anyway, so... Uh, he was on the show for one season, and I'm also going to jump in here with Janine Garofalo, who we talked about uh, on this podcast before. Janine Garofalo was completely miserable and only lasted a half a season. And the, some of the reasons why these two people, very talented comedians. Janine Garofalo obviously did a bunch of movies and a bunch of stand-up, and, uh, and Chris Elliott, like I mentioned, you know, had Get a Life. He did David Letterman. He had the great movie uh, Cabin Boy. Um, and Janine Garofalo you know, had a, a, bunch of, uh, a bunch of great stuff, including you know, TV, TV shows and uh, a great stand-up career, a great career on, uh, on TV and in movies as well. Uh, and they spent a season, she a half a season, on SNL, and they didn't like it at all. The atmosphere at this time was full-on, as I mentioned before. Adam Sandler and, 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 and Chris Farley and David Spade and Rob Schneider and all of those guys that were in the boys' club. Of the mid-90s. And that was at the time when, like, um, you know, Phil Hartman was on his last legs at the show at that time. He was about to leave. And there was a transitional period between that, you know, that cast of the late 80s and into the mid-90s when the, the, the crotch humor, the fart humor, the boy humor, the dick humor came into, uh, came into fold. And that was led by the Adam Sandler, Chris Farley army. And it seemed like every show was dominated by really dumb, really loud dick and fart and guy jokes. Chris Elliott didn't like doing that kind of crap. And Janine Garofalo definitely didn't like it. And the women during that time period, the women cast members, were really treated poorly. They were treated really poorly. And it was all about how loud you can get. How funny, how many funny voices can you do? How many fart jokes and dick jokes can you do in 90 minutes? Janine Garofalo was not meant to do that. She didn't want to do that. She left after half a season, unlike some people who say they're miserable and stay for four seasons. (laughs) She left after half a season. Chris Elliott, you know, waited it out for the entire season. Uh, I'm going to play a clip here of Chris Elliott and Janine Garofalo in a sketch. While in this sketch, I want you to listen to this sketch. It's not a particularly great sketch either. It's an unoriginal sketch, in fact. It's a sketch that seems to be stolen from Monty Python, as many sketches in this world have. Monty Python's Meaning of Life, which is the sex ed class in Monty Python's Meaning of Life, where John Cleese proceeds to have sex with his wife on a bed in front of the class to teach them about sex education. So the teacher having sex, you know, the two teachers having sex on a bed to teach sex education. And that's what's happening here, except it's a, uh, it's a free class that you can take, um, at a at a you know at a gymnasium in a uh, in a church, so it's a it's a free you know like Craigslist sort of at that time class where you can take a sex ed class and and how to liven up your love life is what the class is about, and the hosts are married couple Chris Elliott and Janine Garofalo, and they are going to do some sexual stuff in front of everyone to teach you technique to bring you happiness in your love life, and in the crowd are a couple of very obnoxious people and a couple of really loud morons played by, of course, Chris Farley and, uh, and, and Adam Sandler. So this kind of is an example. And I will tell you what Chris Elliott and Janine Garofalo said. I have quotes from them about the time that they spent on SNL. One season uh, in the case of Chris Farley, half a season in the case of Janine Garofalo. So I have quotes and reasons why they were miserable. But I'm just going to play a, a, a chunk of this sketch. This isn't even the whole thing. It's a very long sketch. And again, the setup is it's a free class, um, and they're doing this class, and Chris Elliott and Janine Garofalo are a married couple. They come out in bathrobes each, and they're going like, to have sex in front of the class to teach technique and to teach how you're lovemaking, and they have to deal with a couple of beer-drinking obnoxious assholes in the crowd. And this, to me, playing this, is indicative of what Chris Elliott and Janine Garofalo had to deal with on and off the set because it was nothing but a loud, obnoxious, farting boys' club for a couple of good, solid seasons. So this sketch, to me, represents exactly what these two actors, these two very, very funny people, had to deal with uh, on SNL. It's indicative. So here it is.
2: Yes, that's wonderful. Um, My name is Jimmy, and this is my wife, Patty. Hi, folks. And as our flyers indicated, this is a free seminar. Um, Our goal here is... Well, to explore one another's sensuality, um, open up the lines of communication between yourselves and your partners, and do that all through sexual exploration.
7: Yeah. Get to it! let <laughs> 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 them up!
2: We seem to have a rather enthusiastic crowd tonight, Pat.
5: Yes, we do. I think we have a great cross-section of the community, including some faces that might not otherwise be involved with continuing education. I think you're right. Uh huh.
2: You know, there is one thing I should say before we begin, however. Um, last week's get-together was, well, Slightly marred by a few no good Nicks uh, who showed up to be comedians, apparently. Uh, hopefully, we won't have a repeat of that nonsense and we can proceed in an atmosphere of mutual respect. Yes?
0: Show us your boobs!
5: <laughs> okay. Um, uh, well, howdy. now. The first step towards making better love is getting in the mood, and I find that I like a little red wine and some soft music.
2: Yes, um, I also like soft music, but instead of wine, I opt for a bowl of tomato soup and a bologna sandwich. Um, followed by something that I like to call El Dance de Seduccione. It goes like this literally, it's a seduction dance.
5: Now, right now, I'm getting very aroused. <laughs>
2: Okay, I'm gonna have to stop, though, because my stomach's a little iffy from some, um, improperly refrigerated catfish that I had earlier this afternoon. (laughs) Film at 11 on that one, folks. (laughs) Hey, dude. Yes, sir. Whip it out! (laughs) Let's see that thing! Let's not have any of that. Um, well, after the seduction dance, um, Patty should be just about in the mood. Patty? Are you in the mood?
5: Oh, yes. Let's do it. Let's do it now.
2: No, not yet.
5: You bastard.
2: (laughs) Okay, I know what you're all thinking. Why is he tormenting and teasing the woman he claims to love? But please understand, this is just a game, a very sexy, sexy game.
0: Uh,
6: okay.
1: All right, so you get the idea. The fart noise came from Chris Farley, and then he's downing beers, and they're, they're loud and screaming. Uh, not a particularly funny bit. Again, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if it was blatantly stolen from uh, *Meaning of Life*, the Monty Python thing, but uh, that's exactly what the sketch was. And it was basically Chris Elliott and Janine Garofalo trying to make bad material funny while being interrupted by screaming. Adam Sandler and Chris Farley, show us your boobs, let's see it, Blah, whip it out, and all that stuff, and guzzling beer, and uh, that kind of shows you exactly what was happening in real life behind the scenes. Not a happy time. Chris Elliott was quoted as saying, I seriously have no memory of it, talking about his time on SNL, and I think I was just such a, mi- it was such a miserable experience that I have sort of blacked out all of the things that happened. That whole year was just, I was just embarrassed. It literally was the year's worst year of my life. Janine Garofalo wanted out after the first week, she said. When she eventually quit mid-season, it was the first time that Lauren ever respected me, she said, to be quite honest. He despised me and was pleased when I quit and pleased that I was leaving, but pleased that I had shown some backbone for the first time. She did not get along with Lauren, and all of that boy club nonsense really got to both of these people. So I thought I would play the two of them together, showing exactly what was wrong with that season for them. Uh, and that would have been in season 20, and that was 1994. By the way, Marissa Tomei was the host uh, that night, and uh, and it was an actually not a bad show. Marissa Tomei was lovely. But, uh, yeah, so that explains why Chris Elliott and Janine Garofalo were miserable. All right, next on the miserable list, Damon Wayans. Uh, this one we've talked about before, uh, one of the most notorious and legendary moments in Saturday Night Live history. Damon Wayans hated his time spent on SNL. He got fired right after this sketch, right after the night that this sketch aired. He only lasted about a half a season. He hated what he was doing. He was stuck in the background of scenes. Um, He was a very, as you know, Damon Wayans, an incredibly talented stand-up comedian, a great sketch comedy artist, as you would find out on In Living Color. But the time that he spent, the half a season that he spent on SNL, uh, was season 11, the transitional season, when, again, Lauren Michaels came back and thought it would be funny to have Randy Quaid and Joan Cusack and some of these other people on. Um, And Damon Wayans was lost. He was, you know, he was a he was a bit player lost in the mix and he hated it. So this was from season 11. This is 1986 when he came out on stage during a sketch where they arrest a guy and Mr. Monopoly comes in, played by John Lovitz uh, and Griffin Dunn, by the way, was the host. Randy Quaid is the other uh, uh, cop in this. And Damon Wayans plays the cop. And uh, they arrest this guy and Mr. Monopoly will come in and place bail. And Damon Wayans hated what was happening on the show. He wasn't even, you know, halfway through the season yet. And he decided that he was going to go off book and play the cop character where he had nothing but straight lines, play him as a flamboyant, completely offensive, stereotypical gay guy. And he did it to over the over the top. And uh, when he got off stage, Lauren Michaels fired him. So uh, Damon Wayans was so frustrated with his lack of airtime, he took it over. He took over a live sketch. He changed a one-line cop role into a dumb... No, a dumb note one uh one note gay bashing character that he would later do on in living color and he said I just got angry he says because I don't think the sketch was funny um and I had a bunch of straight man lines and it would have been funny if I had done it uh much angrier so I was angrier and I wanted to let them know and basically I got fired after this so here is uh Damon Wayans Uh, This was not in the script. He was not supposed to play the character flamboyantly gay. He did it on live television. He got fired right after this. So here is an example of Damon Wayans being uh, miserable, and he only spent a half a season on the show.
3: Hey, easy on the suit. Oh, shut up and sit down. All right, Carrasco. You moved a lot of dope, but you got caught.
6: Yeah, you're going to jail for a long, long time.
3: I wouldn't be so sure about that. My Lord's going to be here any minute. I don't think you get the message, Carrasco. We got you cold. Yes, we've got the whole transaction on videotape. We still got three people that saw you kill that undercover cop. Where's my lawyer? I got a date with the young lady tonight, and I don't want to keep her waiting. I don't think you've been listening,
7: Carrasco. There's not a lawyer in the whole world that's going to get you off this time.
3: Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> You're detaining and Mr. Angel Carrasco. I'm representing him in this matter. That's me. Fine. Let your things on. You're going home. Oh, right, Are you
7: crazy. This man's being held without bail for first-degree murder and narcotics trafficking. Uh, He's not going anywhere.
3: Oh no. <laughs> Get out of jail free. <laughs> You're that guy from the game, Mr. Monopoly. In the flesh. This card may be kept until needed or sold. You're a big lawyer. Well, a defense attorney who gets results can make a mean money in this country, and I guarantee results. If the Parker brothers could see you now, they puke. Why, you ain't in jail, Mr. Oh, that's right, you're Mr. Monopoly. Mm -hmm. Well, good day, gentlemen.
1: Why, you son of a...
3: Captain, don't say it.
1: All right, he got fired right after that, so he was not supposed to play the character as an offensively flamboyantly gay guy, but he did, and then that character basically became huge in Men on Films on in Living Color. Half a season, he was uh, he was only miserable for half a season. All right, next is Nora Dunn, who by the way spent five seasons on the show, and uh and in in, re- in retrospect talks about how miserable she was, despite the fact that she was part of a very strong cast that she got to work with a lot of really incredibly talented people, including Phil Hartman. And she did great work with Jan Hooks Um, and she did really, really good characters on the show, but she did not have a good time. She was not happy. Um, She was not thrilled with some of the things that went on behind the scenes. She was also not thrilled with some of the people that they would have on the show. She wasn't crazy about politicians coming on to host or athletes. And she famously refused to participate the week that Andrew Dice Clay uh, was the host? She boycotted the show along with musical guest Sinead O'Connor, and it became uh, it became part of uh, of the history of her time on SNL. And that did not make Lauren Michaels happy. Lauren Michaels hap- Lauren Michaels does not like the fact that you know cast members, despite their politics or what they believe morally, uh, you know, uh, boycott their own show. So after that, things got even uglier between Lauren Michaels and Nora Dunn. After that happened. Um, and that was in 1990, and she'd already been on the show for about four seasons when that happened. And uh, it would lead into the, 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 the end of her time on SNL. Uh, so uh, she was also really upset that she, her sketches weren't featured on SNL's 40th anniversary show. And in retrospect, she says, SNL was a traumatic experience for me. It's something you have to survive, not something that you do to like. So Nora Dunn was not happy while she was on the show, despite the fact that she did some great work. But I can understand, uh, you know, her wanting to make a stand about certain things and being, uh, you know, ostracized for it. And I think it is ridiculous that none of her sketches were on the 40th anniversary show because she did a lot of great stuff. Here is a, the introduction of one of the characters that she did, kind of a French sex worker named Babette that would pop up on Weekend Update and in sketches. And I really like this character. This was the first time she ever did it. This is season 11 during that weird season that we were talking about, the transitional season, uh, in 1986. This is uh, her doing Babette on Weekend Update with, again, uh, Dennis Miller. I really like this character, and I really like Nora Dunn's work. But understandably, you know, hearing the
2: stories, she was miserable. This is foreign correspondent and sex kitten Babette. Hello, Babette. Hello.
8: Thank How are you? you, thank you. Oh, I'm fine. very happy to be back, but I'm very upset. Why is that? I can understand the American government has asked me to file my taxes, to tell about my money. Now, why must I suffer this indignity?
2: Well, that's not really an indignity, Vivette. Uh, it's a pretty run of the mill
8: procedure. What, what, what do you do for a living first? What do I do? What do you do? I'm a woman. Oh. what are you, blind? Do I have to spell it out for you? Woo, 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 woman. W-O-O-O-O-M-A-N, woman. What will you tax me for teasing my hair? America, land of the free, ha. You know, American men, they don't really know how to treat a woman with dignity. I have dignity, and this auditor should treat me with dignity. Take me to dinner and pay for it, you know? Whisper sweet nothings into my ear. Oh, Babette, what a beautiful tax form you have. Your columns are so straight. Your addition is as flawless as your skin. Your 1040s are perfect, like little pointed paper cups. <laughs> Let me go through your receipts. No. Oh please, let me stack them in little piles month by month. Let me figure your debits, your credits, your deductions. Come on, open your ledger. No, I have my dignity. No, you must open your ledger. No, please, I cannot. I told you, damn it, open your ledger. Yes, yes, strip me of my dignity. Strip me of my dignity. Strip me, strip me. Yes, I'm in vain for you. Oh, excuse me Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh. <laughs>
2: Babette, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Babette.
1: That was a funny character, and she did it in sketches and a few more times on Update, as well as a lot of other memorable characters that were recurring, you know, like talk show hosts and 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 household hint, uh, uh, wife hosts, um, and, uh, you know, the Sweeney sisters. She did great work on SNL, but she was miserable, and I could understand that, and, uh, when she took that political stance against, uh, Uh, against uh, Andrew Dice Clay. She paid for it afterwards, and then she left very soon after that. Spent a significant amount of time here in Chicago on stage and working here in Chicago. That was from 1986. She spent five seasons on SNL. All right, our last miserable cast member is Jim Belushi. Now, I can understand why Jim Belushi was miserable when he was on. He only spent two seasons, and it was during a very big transitional time. He was there during the last season of the Eddie Murphy show. And during that transitional period, that weird transitional period where Ebersol brought in Martin Short and Christopher Guest and Billy Crystal, and he was on that uh, season as well. Um, The problem is you can't have the last name Belushi and expect to have a smooth time on SNL. It just can't happen when you are the younger brother of a comedy legend of one of the very first not-ready-for-prime-time players, of one of the greatest cast members, and some people say the greatest cast member in the history of SNL, who became a movie star and a comedy icon, you're always going to be in that guy's shadows, um, no matter what you do. When he went to Second City, he was in the shadow of of his brother. Um, he did eventually break loose. He did his own movies. He was in a couple of couple of movies. He did a Walter Hill movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger called Red Heat. He did The Principal. In the 80s he did a bunch of movies and then of course in the 90s and the in the 2000s he became a very very popular on TV and according to Jim his sitcom, which is terrible, uh, became very very popular and was a multi-season hit. But while he was on SNL, he was constantly compared to his brother. Everybody in the press was talking about how he wasn't as good as John, and he wasn't, but that's not his fault. And again, you are in the shadow of a giant, one of the greatest cast members and comedic icons in the history of Saturday Night Live. And being John Belushi's brother, you know, was a tough thing. Now, he's embraced it. I mean, he, after John's death, he has joined the Blues Brothers and works with Dan Aykroyd in that department. So he's obviously never shied away from the Belushi name, never shied away from the fact that John was his brother. And has embraced that, but that's a huge shadow. So he not only had to deal with the fact that he was John Belushi's younger brother and that he had to work in his shadow, but also he had to deal with the fact that it was during two very weird transitional, spotty, rocky seasons of SNL when Dick Ebersol was in charge. The writing was poor uh, and everything they tried to do to scrape a good show together. It was not good behind the scenes. Uh, uh, and he was there during a really bad period when Dick Ebersol was in charge, and it wasn't very happy for him. So in addition to having the Belushi last name, living up to his brother's name, and working on Saturday Night Live, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and bringing all that history to it, it was not a happy experience. There was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of bad stuff going on. He also did not get along with Ebersol. He said, I supposedly threw a fire extinguisher at Ebersol." Um, he said. uh, But I don't remember throwing it at him. I do remember taking it down off the wall and I was really pissed and I grabbed it and threw it towards his office. (laughs) He said the two years on Saturday Night Live were the longest and toughest years I've ever spent in show business. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do, even harder than divorce. So Jim Belushi was not happy. And I'll tell you something, the material and the time that he spent there was not very good. They didn't write good stuff for him. There were a few things that he did, like they did a password segment that was pretty funny, and that was during the Billy Crystal, Christopher Guest, um, uh, Martin Short years. Year, I should say. But here's a sketch that was indicative of what they had to do. This is from season nine, 1983. This is uh, the first of two seasons that Jim Belushi would be miserable on SNL. And this is a dysfunctional family Thanksgiving uh, sketch. Julia Louis-Dreyfus is the daughter, Mary Gross is the mother, and uh, Jim Belushi is the father. This is terrible writing, and it's completely indicative of all of the terrible writing that was going on during this season in 1983. Um, Nothing really happens in this this sketch except that it's uh, a dysfunctional. Thanksgiving scene, which has been done a million times in sketch comedy and a million times on SNL, and this is one of the worst ones. But this is a great example of why Jim Belushi was not happy on the show.
6: All right, okay. young
1: lady, now don't talk to your mother that way.
6: Oh, no,
3: Jim, she's right. I'm sure that deep down I'm a racist bigot, you know. I, I'm a worm. Right. Well, why don't we say grace?
2: Let's not and say we did. Well, that's another alternative. I, I know. What?!
0: Look, what makes you think your God is the right God? God is probably, probably
7: Muslim or Hindu or something. Ever think of that? No, because you're too narrow. All right, all right, all right. I've had just about enough of it. Oh, we what? are pretty narrow, Jim. Be fair. Oh, come on. I don't believe in God anymore, OK? okay. I don't want to hear any more on that college, educated maybe little mouth of yours. Now me, you just, she was we're right. At the okay, table right, right? Now.
5: But I forgot, you don't even read Nietzsche. Nietzsche? Yeah. I'd like to read Nietzsche. Uh, I like that. You're
7: going to get the whipping of your life, oh, young lady. Oh, give me a
5: break, Dad. I'm going back to school right now.
7: New no, York, all. Know. You're not going anywhere, young lady. You're going to sit here and eat that dead animal. Oh, yes, I am. I'll
5: probably <laughs> hitchhike if I have to, and I'll, then I'll get murdered. And it'll all be your fault. Ooh, we'd certainly be to blame if that happened, you Francis!
7: I'll handle this. Okay. Katie, you come down here right now.
4: No, no, her name is Kate now. No. Go okay. on. Put Come right and lady. Put me
7: You're going to sit down right at this table. Yeah.
6: Now That's sit all down.
7: you can think of as force. Force. Sit down what? here. Me. Sit down here. I've right got now. your favorite pie for dessert. Oh god! I hate this
0: place! Help!
3: please! <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, isn't it lovely having the family together for Thanksgiving, Dinner?
1: that's it he uh he ties up julia louis dreyfus to the chair and sticks a a uh a a drumstick in her mouth yeah uh and that is the kind of material that jim belushi you know uh uh, honestly that's the kind of material that he had to deal with so it makes sense that he was miserable while he was on there in addition to constantly being bashed for not being john so there you go uh 10 examples of miserable cast members not everybody is happy it's not a dream job for everybody for most people it is but here's an example of misery loves company uh, and uh, there are more, and I will do another uh, uh, episode dedicated to uh, miserable cast members in the history of Saturday Night Live who did some great work or some bad work, and that's what it's all about, and that's what this show's all about. Thanks for listening, uh, and you can uh, check us out every Wednesday. We live stream every day at 9 a.m. Central at uh, Live. You can check out all of the other podcasts at RadioMisfits.com. Uh, my thanks to Ed at RadioMisfits, uh to, to Jason Skaggs for doing the theme at the beginning and the theme at the end that you're about to hear. He's our composer and our music guy. And, uh, if you would like to contribute with thoughts or comments or suggestions for the SNL podcast, please do 73-417-6948. The voicemail is open all the time. We want to hear from you. You can email me anytime you want. Nick at podcast at gmail.com. Uh, Once again, thanks for uh, joining us. And, uh, we got some guests coming up, including Molly Carney from uh, last season of SNL. They'll be joining me uh, on the podcast next time. So, again, 773-417-6948 or nickdpodcast at gmail.com. That's how you get in touch with us. Thanks for listening, everybody.
3: Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow.